0: chapter 9 of the riddle of the frozen flame by mary e hanshoe and thomas w hanshoe this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 9 the second victim the alterations at meriton towers were certainly a success from the builders point of view at any rate white paint had helped to dispel some of its gloominess "'though there were those who said that the whole place was ruined thereby. "'However, it was certainly an improvement to be able to have windows that opened, "'and to look into rooms that beckoned you with promises of cosy ingle-nooks "'and plenty of brilliant sunshine. "'Borkins looked upon these improvements with a censorious eye. "'He was one of those who believed in letting things be.' to whom innovation is a crime and modernity nothing short of madness to him the dignity of the house had gone but when it came to nigel installing a new staff of servants the good borkins literally threw up his hands and cried aloud in anguish He did not hold with frilled aprons any more than he held with women assuming places that were not meant for them. But if the maids annoyed Borkins, his patience reached its breaking point when Merriton, paying a flying visit to town, returned in company with a short, thick-set person who spoke with a harsh cockney accent, and whom Merriton introduced as his batman whatever that might be said borkins holding forth to dimmock one of the undergrooms james collins soon became a necessary part of the household machinery a little cog in fact upon which the great wheel of tragedy was soon to turn within a week he was completely at home in his new surroundings collins in fact was the perfect gentleman's servant and thus he liked always to think himself. Many a word he and Borkins had over their master's likes and dislikes, but invariably Collins won out. While every other servant in the place liked him and trusted him, the sight of his honest red face and his ginger eyebrows was enough to make Borkins look like a thundercloud. The climax was reached one night in the autumn when the evening papers failed to appear at their appointed time. Collins confronted Borkins with the fact and got snubbed for his pains. "Ere you,' he said he hadn't much respect for Borkins and made no attempt to hide the fact, "'what the deuce has become of his lordship's pipers?' "'Have you been having a squint at em, old pie-face, "'jist like your bloomin' cheek?' "'Not so much of your impudence, Mr. Collins,' retorted Borkins. "'When you address a gentleman, try to remember how to speak to him. "'I've had nothing whatever to do with Sir Nigel's evening papers, "'and you know it. If they're late... "'Well, wouldn't it be worth your while to go down to the station "'and have a gentle word or two with one of the officials there?' Ah, well, then, old fiddle retorted Collins with a good-natured grin, "'don't lose your wool over it. You ain't got any to spare. "'His lordship's been a-asking for em, and like as not they ain't turned up. "'Let's see, what's the time? Half past eight. He shook his bullet-shaped head. "'Well, I'll be doing as you say. Slap on me hat and jacket and Mike off to the blinking station. What's the shortest why, Borkins, me beauty?' Borkins looked at him a moment and his face went a dull brick colour. Then he smirked sarcastically. "'Like as not, you're so brave you wouldn't mind going across the fens,' he said them their flames wouldn't be scaring such a hero as mr james collins oh no you'll find it a mile or so less than the three miles by road it's the shortest cut but i don't recommend it however that lies with you i'll tell sir nigel where you're gone if he asks me you may be sure all right across the fens is the shortest you says "'Well, I'll try it tonight and see. "'You're right for once, I ain't afraid. "'It takes more than twiddly little bits of lights "'to scare James Collins, I tells you. "'So long!' Borkins, standing at the window in the dining-room "'and peering through the dusk at Collins' sturdy figure "'as it swung past him down the drive, "'bit his lip a moment and made as if to go after him. "'No, I'll be damned if I do.' HE SAID SUDDENLY, IF HE KNOWS SUCH A LOT, WELL, LET HIM TAKE THE RISK. I WARNED HIM ANYHOW, SO I'VE DONE MY BIT. THE FLAMES'LL DO THE REST. AND HE LAUGHED. BUT JAMES COLLINS DID NOT COME BACK WHEN HE OUGHT TO HAVE DONE, AND THE EVENING PAPERS ARRIVED BEFORE HIM, BROUGHT BY THE STATION MASTER'S SON JACOB. Jacob had seen nothing of Collins, and Merriton, who did not know that the man had gone on this errand, made no remark when the hours went slowly by, and no sign of Collins appeared. At eleven o'clock the household retired. Merriton, still ignorant of his man's absence, went to bed and slept soundly. The first knowledge he received of Collins' absence was when Borkins appeared in his bedroom in the morning. "'Where the deuce is Collins?' Merriton said pettishly, for he did not like Borkins and they both knew it. "'That's exactly what I have been trying to find out, sir,' responded Borkins bravely. "'He hasn't been back since last night, so far as I could make out.' "'Last night?' Merriton sat bolt upright in bed and ran his fingers through his hair what the dickens do you mean collins went out last night sir to fetch your papers leastways that was what he said he was going for responded borkins patiently and so far as i knows he hasn't returned yet whether he dropped into a public-house on the way or not i don't know or whether he took the short cut to the station across the fens isn't for me to say, but he hasn't come back yet, Sir, Merriton looked anxious. Collins had a strong hold upon his master's heart. He certainly wouldn't like anything to happen to him. You mean to say he said sharply that Collins went out last night to fetch my papers from the station and was fool enough to take the short cut across the fence? I warned him against doing so, said Borkins, since he said he'd probably go that way, that no frozen flames was a-going to frighten him, and and his language was most offensive. But I've no doubt he went. Then why the devil didn't you tell me last night? exclaimed Merriton angrily, jumping out of bed. You knew that truth about Mr. Wynne's disappearance, and yet you deliberately let that man go out to his death. If anything's happened to James Collins, Borkins, I'll I'll wring your damned neck, understand? Borkins went a shade or two paler and took a step backward. Sir Nigel, sir, I— When did Collins go? Half past eight, sir. Hawkins' voice trembled a little. "'And believe me or not, sir, I did my best to persuade Collins from doing such an extremely dangerous thing. I begged him not to think of doing it, but Collins is pig-headed, if you'll forgive the word, sir, and he was bent upon getting your papers. I swear, sir, I ain't had anything to do with it.' "'And when he didn't come back last night before I went to bed, "'I said to myself, I said, "'Collins has dropped into a public house and made a a ass of hisself, I said, "'and thought no more about it, expecting he'd be in later. "'But his bed hasn't been slept in, and there is no sign of him anywhere.' "'Merriton twisted round upon his heel and looked at the man keenly for a moment.' "'I'm fond of Collins, Borkins,' he said abruptly. "'We've known each other a long time. "'I shouldn't like anything to happen to the chap while he's in my service, that's all. "'Get out now and make inquiries in every direction. "'Have Dimmock go down to the village and ransack every public house round about. "'If you can't find any trace of him,' his lips tightened for a moment, "'then I'll fetch in the police.' I'll get the finest detective in the land on this thing. I'll get Cleek himself if it costs me every penny I possess, but I'll have him traced somehow. Those devilish flames are taking too heavy a toll. I've reached the end of my tether. He waved Borkins out with an imperious hand and went on with his dressing, his heart sick. What if Collins had met with the same fate as Dacre Wynne? What were those fiendish flames, anyhow, that men disappeared completely, leaving neither sight nor sound? Surely there was some brain clever enough to probe the mystery of them. If Collins doesn't turn up this morning, he told himself as he shaved with a very unsteady hand, I'll go straight up to London by the twelve o'clock train and straight to Scotland Yard, but I'll find him. "'Damn it, I'll find him!' "'But no trace of James Collins could be found. "'He was gone completely. "'No one had seen him. "'No one but Borkins had known of his probable journey across the fens at night-time. "'And Borkins excused himself upon the plea that Collins hadn't actually said he was going that way. "'He had simply vanished.' as Dacre Wynne had vanished, as Will Myers and all that long list of others had vanished, eaten up by the flames, and in twentieth-century England. But the fact remained, Dacre Wynne had disappeared, and now James Collins had followed him, and a new flame shone among the others, a newer, brighter flame than any before. Merriton saw it himself, that was the devilish part of it. His own eyes had seen the thing appear, just as he had seen it upon the night when Dacre Wynne had vanished. But he didn't shoot at it this time. Instead, he packed a small bag, ran over and said goodbye to Toinette, and told her he was going to have a day in town, but told her nothing else. Then he took the twelve o'clock train to town. A taxi whisked him to Scotland Yard. End of chapter 9